Hello and welcome to the CISS podcast. This is the On the Spot series by China Forum. In this series, we return to the platform of international forums and webinars, where leading minds in academia, government, business, technology, and media deliver novel, collaborative responses to the global issues of the day. Hello and welcome to the CISS podcast on the sports series. I'm Johnny Rung with China Forum, Tsinghua University. Early in March this year, China has successfully brokered an agreement between Saudi Arabia and Iran, ending a years-long rift between the two countries. As the New York Times puts it, the U.S. was left on sidelines in this process. Would China play an even bigger role in the Middle East? Who could come out on top in the increasingly fierce global competition, China or the U.S.? Susan Thornton, former U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for East Asian and Pacific Affairs, took an exclusive interview with Judy Wen from China Forum. Susan was in Beijing this March to attend the fifth International Forum on Security and Strategy, organized by CISS Tsinghua University. Let's hear what she has to say. Please stay tuned. Thanks so much for attending our program. And actually, I think it's a long time for you to visit、uh, Beijing. Right, I haven't been here for three and a half years since、yeah. the end of 2019. So. Yeah. So, what's your impression about Beijing this time? Actually. I'm pleasantly surprised that it looks very much the same as I remember. I was worried so many things would have changed; I might not recognize it. But I think、uh, looks very familiar, so that's comfortable. Yeah. So, how did you judge the current relationship between our two countries? Because, as we all know, we are encountering many problems. So, what's your understanding about the current situation right now? Well, I have to say that is. Hard to overestimate the negative impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on U.S.-China relations. You know, things started to go a little bit worse in U.S.-China relations even before the pandemic. But when you think about it, on January 20th, 2020, the U.S. and China signed the Phase One trade deal, and things were looking like they were going to improve. Uh, and then three days later, China locked down Wuhan City, and we soon found out that this was going to be a big problem for everyone. And it really did, I think, usher in a huge change in U.S.-China relations for the worse. Mostly, probably because of basically our lack of understanding of this disease or this virus, the huge political implications for. Governments around the world, but especially in the U.S., of course, our leadership in the U.S. at that time really blamed China for sort of reversing what they thought was some momentum on the political side. So it really damaged very seriously our relationship, and we've sort of been stuck there since then. And now we're coming out of the pandemic, so maybe people think you know there could be some momentum to try to rekindle. Some constructive connections between our two countries, and I'm hopeful that that will happen. It hasn't. We've been working on trying to get back some constructive interactions, and it hasn't really worked for the last couple of years. But we've had now the, you know, unfortunate 
cancellation of Secretary Blinken's visit here in the last couple of months because of this balloon incident. So we've really just had some really bad luck. It's really a lot of exogenous things, crises acting on U.S.-China relations, which kind of also goes to show that really there's nothing that's going to not affect our relationship because our relationship is so big and so you know, multifaceted and so complicated, everything from military crises in someplace else in the world to our economic relationship to a disease, um, probably weather issues, everything affects our relationship. And so we've got to be able to manage it a bit better. And I hope in the coming months leading up to the APEC summit in the U.S. that we'll be able to find a way to have some regular communication and (laughs) have some constructive interaction. Yeah, thank you. I think we're all looking forward to this kind of uh, communication and uh, interaction between our two countries. And uh, I think you had paid attention to the two sessions just uh, uh, held in Beijing. The world, I think, is concerned about how China will promote the economic recovery, I mean, after the pandemic, and uh, improve the global governance right now. And uh, China has played some important role in Middle East, like Saudi Arabia and Iran, issued a joint statement in Beijing. So what's your perspective for China's foreign diplomacy after the two sessions? Well, I think after the two sessions this year, the bumper sticker for the two sessions was, you know, China is back. You know, we're coming out of COVID-19. We've had this really difficult period of lockdowns and struggling economy, but, you know, we're going to be back. We're going to get the economy going. We're going out and visiting foreign countries. So that was kind of a message that came. I mean, I think what outsiders like me are really looking at and what many people want to see is, does this mean some kind of real action on things that people have been watching for in the areas of reform? If those economic issues will come to fruition now and and go forward, opening up of some of the sectors, fixing the fiscal systems, other things that are major kind of difficult obstacles to overcome, but maybe now they can be overcome. But I think the foreign policy, too, is another area where people said that China is turning on a charm offensive and trying to rekindle a lot of these relationships, and a lot of meetings have been happening. And as you said, I mean, I think that the brokering of the re-establishment of diplomatic relations between Iran and Saudi Arabia was a surprise to people, but also a very good sign that China is willing to sort of step up and get more involved in mediation in some of these difficult spots around the world. And that's something that, frankly, when I was in government, we were always looking to China to try to do, but China was reluctant. So Mm -hmm. I think now, even though because of the competition between the U.S. and China, we're a little bit worried about China doing something that might increase its influence in the Middle East at the expense maybe of the United States. But still, this is, I think everyone has acknowledged that this is a net benefit for all, including the U.S. Yes, I think U.S. government will welcome China to play more active role in handling international conflict issues like uh, in the Middle East. Is that right? Yeah, I think in general, if there are conflicts out there that China can bring to bear some influence to 
solve or calm down or play a role, try to get a settlement, that that would be welcomed. And I think we've seen this recently with the travel of President Xi Jinping to Russia. You have to recognize that it takes going and communicating directly in order to try to figure out how to bring about a peace settlement. And so I think it's fair to keep an open mind about these kind of things. And I think everyone would be happy to see this war end if China can help do that. Yeah, you mentioned the Ukraine crisis. My question is, because I noted that the spokesman of the White House said that although China put forward a 12-point proposal, I can't believe that the current ceasefire is a recognition of the achievements of Russia's aggression and a violation of the UN chapter. I mean, why Kobe was opposing China's proposal to ceasefire? So I think China put forward its position for a political settlement of the question. And I think everyone agrees that this conflict is going to have to be settled through mm. a political negotiation at some point. The question is whether you try to just get a ceasefire without any kind of follow-on steps mm. being agreed. Mm. And what people worry about with proceeding in that way is that it will freeze the line of occupation and then basically you negotiate for years and years and it becomes a de facto frozen conflict and people are worried about that in this case. Mm. With the time so limited, sure, yes. yes. I know you once served as the acting assistant secretary of state for East Asia and Pacific Affairs. So I think you are quite familiar with the Asian Pacific issues. We know China and the U.S. are all Asia-Pacific countries. Actually, right now we have some different ideas in these areas. And uh, scholars are all talking about the tense atmosphere. So what's your point about that? Look, I think the U.S. has always had, since the end of World War II, these partners and allies in other parts of the world. Partly, it's a legacy from the wars in Europe, but it's also kind of emblematic of the security situation of the United States. I mean, we're on another continent. We're surrounded by two big oceans. We could just, you know, stay in our own little spot and not worry about the rest of the world and let everyone else take care of themselves. But that hasn't been what the U.S. has been doing. We've been engaged in Europe. We've been engaged in Asia since the end of World War II because we believe that being engaged in Europe and Asia and trying to help maintain security in those two places means that we will have more security on the continent of the Americas. So in the Trump administration, a lot of those relationships suffered because there was this kind of impetus toward more isolationism in the United States, or at least not spending as much effort and resources and time on allies and partners. We should focus more on ourselves at home, make America great again, right? Mm. Um, and so I think when the Biden administration came in, they really wanted to shore up the relations with these allies. So when you see these groups in AUKUS, the Quad, I mean, it's really based on U.S. traditional allies. So from Chinese perspective, what we think is quite a threat to our security because it's a security alliance around China and in this area. Yeah. I think both sides have very exaggerated ideas mm. about the threatening uh, mm. posture that's coming from the other side. Yeah. I think that has been probably a fairly long-standing issue, but it's really acute now. It's gotten to be a bit unmanageable. I think China's always seen the U.S. as some kind of a threat. 
And I think the U.S. has always seen China as somehow looming as a threat. This is, you know, the current kind situation of right now. The current environment <laughs> sort of magnifies it, and I think that certainly there are problems. There are always going to be problems. And when I've been working on the U.S.-China relationship, you know, the thing that is the most urgent problem will change from one. Month to the next month, so the problems will always be changing, but they'll always be there. But you know, exaggerating the idea of sort of a threat and calling each other existential threat—it's an exaggeration, I believe, and not helpful. So thank you again for being here and、yeah. also attending our conference. And I think it's kind of to track communication, we can stand each other more. Yeah, I hope yeah. so. That's、yeah. the idea. Great. No, thank thank you. you for having me. Thank you so much. That was Susan Thornton, former U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for East Asian and Pacific Affairs, and currently senior research fellow with the Yale Law School, sharing her views on China's role in global affairs and the future prospects of U.S.-China ties. Thanks for listening. <laughs>